Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective. And I think that is genuinely the first time I've got the name right. The first time I've managed to get it without putting the word rugby in there about six more times. This is a podcast which is good, well done, you opened the right app and you made it this far. It is dedicated entirely to going back through the 2011 Rugby World Cup, and today we will be looking at a, vi- a game of... I almost said a video game there. It's not It's not a video game. You were doing so uh, well. <laughs> today we'll be looking at Final Fantasy VIII. No, it's Wales against South Africa. Wales against the Springboks. 16-17 it finished, and joining me today to talk about it as ever is... Pessimistic Wales fan, Will Owen. <laughs> and also joining us today, our very special guest... Oh, hi. I'm Ali Stokes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm a former journalist uh, who now works in communications for Harlequins. Yeah, so we had to, in order to get you on the podcast today, we had to get it approved by the CEO of Harlequins. Like, I think as Chris Robshaw himself had to step in and say, you're right, <laughs> give you the go ahead. It's, you know, it's it's an interesting one. Because obviously before, you know, when you're, when you're a freelance journalist, you can kind of, you go and you do kind of whatever you want, really, in terms of media. But I think yeah. sort of working in a working in a club, I um, it was kind of something that you just have to, just have to run past to to see how that works. But um, no, they're they're pretty they're they're pretty cool, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Harlequins ran it past them. They said, yeah, no, if you want to talk about some more reviewable games? Go for it. You know, <laughs> that's that's Mike Brown all over, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm now. Taking everyone at the club is one of the players. Mm. Mike Brown, yeah, it, it's funny. You know, I I spent a fair bit of time talking to him recently, mm. and I think you know people people look on as obviously there's a certain assumption of, of, of Mike Brown, but you know, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and we're doing a lot of work recently. In, I mean, with, with, with players, and obviously at the moment, there's there's so much going on in the world around coronavirus and people struggling, and yeah. And kind of my round been one of the main people that's been kind of trying to raise raise funds for that. I mean, the guy has been yeah. giving away old kit and auctioning it off through oh, wow. in my through in my locker for um. So there's a charity called CW Plus Rapid Response Fund. Yeah. They're uh, they're kind of raising money for the sort of local hospital to kind of you know Mike's and the Stoops uh, area. Mm. And he's you know he's raised a couple of couple of thousand for this, and it's I thought you know pretty sure guy. Pretty nice guy. I, I think that's it. What, what you learn, I think, when you start working with rugby players properly, is you realise that you can't really think you know their character by watching yeah. them and how they are on the pitch. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously they want to, you know, one minute you want to kick Mike Phillips' head in, and the next minute you're, you're you want to kick Mike Phillips' 
Heading, well, yeah. probably, probably. <laughs> yeah, or moment you want to kick a Welshman's head in, I can understand that. And then the next minute, you're, the, you're a normal guy off the pitch, and it's it's funny. I think yeah. you realise that these these players are just yeah, yeah. Quite... I've always kind of assumed that that this is a public persona, and it's interesting because I think some players don't put that on, and some players I've seen talk about how they struggle because people felt like they knew them. And there are some players who are very, and like Mike Phillips is actually a good example, who are very performative. And when they get onto the pitch, actually, they become a different person. And they kind of project that in, in the way like a, a stand-up comedian would. They'd go, okay, this is a version of myself that I'm projecting here. And I think it's a it's a really interesting point and completely off the point of the the game. And we're too early in to begin a long tangent. But if anyone has any thoughts, I'll, I'll open 40 seconds of discussion. Uh, I also agree. I think Mike Brown is often quite misunderstood, and I've always got that impression mm. that he's just very passionate to play for his country. And guess what? If that means standing up for his mates, then yeah. why do people have to then look at that and think this guy's probably a dick? Uh, admittedly, with the Mike Phillips example, I did see something the other day saying that when he was uncapped, he called Justin Marshall shit when he was playing against him. But you know, <laughs> says about eighty-one the whole caps thing. the All Blacks at the yeah. same time. Yeah, and there's there's something as well. The the last point on Mike Brown, but. I don't think he'd be regarded in the same way and talked about in the same way if he wasn't kind of the token working class person in that England team. Agreed. And I think it's, I've always had a real problem with the fact that Mike Brown was pursued as this kind of time bomb, really angry man as the token working class player on the team. And then after he fades out, Kyle Sinclair comes in as kind of the token working class player. And he's shown in exactly the same light, less so in the last six months. But that was always something that has really bothered me as a point yeah. on actually, Game we talk about... Too. Yes, no, get yeah. Gent, who is now going to revolutionise and change rugby forever, who is yeah. starting his own union. <laughs> I also want to apologise quickly, because about a minute before we started recording, my neighbour suddenly started playing really loud bangers, and I can see the microphones picking them up when I'm not talking. So yeah. I hope you enjoy that. I hope you enjoy that house party going on, despite COVID-19 next door. I think they're playing <laughs> the same bangers as last time when they interrupted the podcast. Oh, they, they seem to play them all the time. It's the same really? three notes of the same three songs. Yeah, it's like an Oasis album. Um, <laughs> it feels like it feels like Trump logic that if you hit certain certain notes, the coronavirus can't survive. But you like it. It can't survive certain notes. We have talked five minutes. And we've not mentioned the game yet, which was fine when it was England against Argentina, and it was a shite game. However, we should probably talk about the actual rugby match because this, as I mentioned earlier. Wales against South Africa, and it was, I think, one of the best and certainly best remembered games of the tournament. Yeah, I think it's certainly the best so far of the ones that we've gone through yeah. in this catalogue that we're doing. In terms of, I want to say two superpowers of the game, but it's difficult because I think this is sort of the first time Wales sort of became a superpower, in a sense. Mm. They looked like a real threat because in past, I was saying off air previously, I was kind of probably going into it assuming that Wales, as a Wales fan myself, of course, would get battered by the Southern Hemisphere Giants uh, rather than pushing them close, especially mm. when Francois staying crossed literally two minutes into the game. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting thing to touch on, the fact that Wales hadn't beaten a Southern Hemisphere team since Australia in 2008, and before that, yeah. I think it was Wales in 2005. I think they they managed they hadn't beaten the Springboks since 1999, and yet managed to push within a point of them. Yeah, and there was that that monkey was on their back the whole time. I feel like that was such a psychological barrier for the Welsh team to get over, and yeah. especially because there was a lot of young and experienced players coming to this team. And you know they all played well, but the likes of Rhys Priestland, Tulipe Falatau at the time were very young and experienced. George North as well, 
and th- that pressure being on their shoulders was a bit of a barrier. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's always a barrier when you put a twelve-year-old on the wing. Really, <laughs> uh, he was. I mean, you could. That was a young-looking George North. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't someone that looks like he's aged loads like, since then. But you forget just how young he was when he when he kind of really broke onto the scene. Yeah, yeah, he was nineteen. Yeah, which is to say, I mean, the opposite I mean, number we... is Brian Habana, who he already scored once. Yeah, it's your second time playing him. Good luck, lad. Yeah. So it's it was a we had a kind of the old George North as well the the mm. kind of the young dynamic one before any any injuries came along mm. he just he, he looked dynamic he looked it's it's the agility for me yeah the, the little body movements and it's actually the same with Jamie Roberts he was he had this really powerful leg drive before he hit contact whereas I think towards yeah. the sort of end of his world career. It was kind of the same speed when he got the ball, and maybe yeah. he kind of he maybe he decided to start faster because he was losing speed, you know, as you mm. do when you hit your thirties. But there was just this athleticism when he would hit contact, and he would almost yeah. skip skip through gaps. And then what, he, he's so big that what, once he's got a half break, it's hard to bring him down. And it also helped that he was running at Mornay Stain all day, yes, which was yeah wonderful. But there was just a lot of, it was it was a real throwback, and it was a kind yeah. of a, it was. It made me feel like I was a seventeen-year-old college kid again, watching these guys that I grew up properly idolizing when I really got into rugby, kind of yeah. at their best. Um, yeah. And throw Jonathan Davies in there, who's still the best, but yeah, he had a good game. So, is that your kind of memory of this game originally and of this World Cup of watching well, it's funny. That yeah, because actually I got so kind of plugged in with my college stuff and kind of mm. little projects around it. Remember, this was one of the World Cup. I didn't, I just didn't watch as much as I thought I okay. wanted at the time. So a lot of this very much needed my memory jigging. And yeah. I think memories, to be honest, being again an arrogant, self-involved Englishman, my main <laughs> memories from that World Cup is two Elangi just running riot against yeah. like, Romania, Romania, <laughs> Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, of of the non, apart from the final of the non-England mm. games, yeah, this is the one. This is this is a this is a classic one. But it felt like I was watching it new. I couldn't remember any of the game. So watching it back, it was just, it just felt like a throwback. Yeah. It was awesome. And it's Thursday, so that's great. <laughs> it is Absolutely. Thursday. It is Thursday, isn't it? It is Thursday. I think so. Yeah, I think it's, so. Yeah. It's either a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, or a Wednesday. And I'm not entirely okay. sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm struggling with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The good thing is, that's going to age really well because whenever people are listening to this, they'll look at their watch and go, their watch or the phone or whatever, they check their days on and go, huh, he's right. It was one of those days. Yeah. <laughs> it is a Thursday. <laughs> I think you've just, just given yourself away as a, as a smartwatch user. <laughs> I just have a what well, I've not got it on at the minute. Actually, that's weird. I, this is the first time in lockdown I've got used to not having a watch on. Normally, I just stare at my wrist vacantly anyway and expect there to be digits, a bit like the Andrew Nickel film in Time. But yeah, yes. no, I, I, I haven't. But normally, it just says the date on it. That isn't interesting. Jamie Roberts. So Jamie <laughs> Roberts. No, I. I think also he was slightly slighter than he was, as you think of Jamie Roberts being. Like, he was far more agile, I'd say. He was kind of skipping into those tackles. And yeah. the lines he was picking were fantastic. 
Yeah, and he had this lovely little step before contact that he used to do. And so yeah. I think this is Jamie Roberts more or less at his best at this point. Obviously, yeah. it was the 09 Lions is the one that people turn to. But this World Cup campaign, he was properly at his peak. And the way, yeah. that little step before contact, like Ali was saying a minute ago, the way that he managed to take that step sort of back in towards the 10 and carry them back and sort of catch him off guard, mm. I think that was just Jamie Roberts at his best. Mm. Absolutely. And he was also picking lines off people as well. In a way, I think as his career went on, he began to just pick lines into people. And he was going, okay, there's a bit of a gap next to whoever the 10 is. I'm going to charge at that. Whereas here, he was actively looking at who's taking the ball off. And there's that one break he makes off Falatau from an offload. Yeah. Uh, but also the way he was running off Priestland. The way Priestland was getting the most out of him, who was starting at 10. Because that was kind of the thing about, just to look at the rest of the Welsh team as well, that it was a few really interesting changes from what yeah. you'd have been expecting. Old from the typical Welsh team. So you had Rhys Preeson coming in, who had two test starts, had just made his debut in the Six Nations that year off the bench, had only played because Stephen Jones rolled his ankle in a warm-up game. Yeah. And suddenly they're dropping him in at 10. And I was so impressed at the time with Gatland in this selection because mm. I think typically I was one of these people who was guilty of thinking Gatland didn't really pick on form. But yeah. Stephen Jones was out of this injured and I was really impressed with the balls he picked to... Firstly, drop Lee Byrne, who was the only Welsh fullback in the last two decades yeah. to have come along. And secondly, make sure that he sticks with that call rather than switching Hook to 10 and putting Priestland on the bench. Uh, starting yeah. Priestland, backing the youngster and putting Hook to fullback, I think it's a really ballsy but brilliant call. You, you say that, though. I would have been more supportive of him dropping Lee Byrne if he hadn't put a moose in at fullback. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best example of James <laughs> yeah. Hook. In a whale shit, but yeah, there were more. There's at least there is one point in my notes where I just have the phrase, and I'm not entirely sure what it's referring to. In all caps, James Hook, you nonce, because <laughs> I, think... I shouted that out loud and then realised that isn't good, but wrote it down anyway because that felt important. Was it the time when he was about five yards out from the touchline on the attacking line, and he still he just boots the ball like straight into touch on the full, and it oh. goes like into the stands. Yeah, there's that. There's there's another moment in which Butch James, who comes on quite early on, threads a little kick through in the in the twenty two, and James Hook goes to try and volley it, and like nothing good was coming of that. Instead, it just kind of ricochets off his boot and gives South Africa the line out. And there's so many moments like him missing kicks, him kind of drop that ball for Franz Steyn's try. Yeah, exactly. The the first try comes from him from a knock on from him. My my main memory from this game of James Hook is watching him getting bumped off by Mornay Stain going for that try, mm. while Shane Williams is desperately holding on to Stain's ankles. Mm. It was just like, I don't know, I genuinely think Williams was the more effective one, and he was kind of going for a ride. That's the yeah. only thing I think of, what, I, having watched the game, I think back, that's my main memory of Hook in this game. It's funny, cause, so I've been playing a lot of Rugby 08 this week, just because why not? Because I put the PS2 back into the TV and I just I won the World Cup of Wales this morning. It's a Thursday. Nice, congrats. And it's funny because playing as James Hook in it, I'm sort of thinking, you know what? I've been too harsh on James Hook. I I've really given him a lot of a hard time when actually he was a great player and he was a really versatile player and he was really solid and really good. And then I watched him play again and that little bit of my brain just triggered that little bit of oh he's not like. Like people argue over like is his best position ten, twelve, thirteen, fifteen, but I, I I think the only compelling arguments are are they twenty one, twenty two, or twenty three? Like where are you putting him on the bench, or are you even having him in that? It's just 
because he has all the attributes of a rugby player, of a really good rugby player, but he can't put them together. It's like looking at someone that's put all the pieces of a jigsaw in the right places, but they've just put them the wrong way round, so none of them connect. Like, if you turned every single piece round, the jigsaw is complete, but all of them are upside down, which would mean it's complete. So half of them are upside down. He's one, he is one of those. He just, that feels like a very Welsh thing for, as an yes. Englishman. To, to have a player that can do so many things. But where do you play him? That that feels very Welsh. And in, in a way, it's weird because you look at Australia and they do that. And for some reason, whenever Australia mm-hmm. have these players that can play every position, they do every single one well, mostly. Yeah. James O'Connor at 10. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all seem to work. And it's, I don't know why Australia can always can always do it. They just... Maybe it's just because their game is just so batshit crazy, it doesn't really matter. Mm. But it, it, it feels like a very Welsh thing to have. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear something that's not very Welsh? Sure. Yes. So the version of this game that's on YouTube has Georgian commentary. Of course. Which, mm. I Ali, did you watch the, that version? Yes, I did. Yeah. How did you find that as an experience? I've realised I've never heard Georgian before and it doesn't sound anything <laughs> like what I thought it did. <laughs> at times it sounded Japanese, at times Italian. Mm. I it, it didn't sound very very European. <laughs> really. I, I particularly enjoyed them really rolling their R's and saying like whoa but Rombies like a like a kind yeah. of rombies. Also I watched this with my incredibly rugby-deprived friend, Alid, who wanted something to do. And so I did him a favour and said he could watch the game with me. And he pointed out to me that at one point, in the middle of a sentence, the, the Georgian commentator is saying something, and then they just blurt out the phrase, hospital pass, <laughs> like, in English. Yeah. So I now that It's like when you've got the names. Yeah. 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 Oh, so speaking of names, I, I heard them run through the Welsh team sheet. Because the way they talked about the teams was they didn't do the thing that like Miles Harrison or Nick Mullins does, where they kind of go, they pick up on the interesting ones, so they, you know, there's one change at 12 here, and you skip over the other centres, and you move on, whatever. They just read out the team sheet, and they just read everyone out individually. And I want you to listen for when they get to number 10 in the Welsh team. <laughs> Reese Brislandy, Michael Phillips. I love that they're cycling through the names of that Georgian team, and then they see, oh shit, lads. Pre- to be fair, actually, it is quite a difficult name if you're not familiar with our yeah, way of spelling Pristaland. it. <laughs> I love that. I love the formal was... Michael. I love the Michael Phillips. Yes. Mm. Yeah, he was also Warren Gatlandy, which everybody had Ian I enjoyed. The name. I'm pretty sure at yeah, one point it was I like just... Wilbertoni. There was um, Lidiati, I think it was. Lidiati <laughs> or something. They're a cult, the Lidiati. I know it's kind of it's a Georgian tradition. And it's a bit like Japanese where only certain certain sounds can be made at the end of a word. So they tend to add E or uh, on the end of, of basically everything. And I assume Georgian the same. As you say, I, I know very little about the Georgian language. As we've suddenly say hospital pass. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, hospital pass, same in every language. And that word for hospital pass is ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that drop goal is 
it is not the same as hospital pass and it just sounded like <laughs> a, it just sounded like they were um enjoying something a lot <laughs> when <laughs> when Monet Stain went for a drop goal i i'm not going to i'm not going to describe the sound listeners you know what sound i thought he was making and I kind of wish that was the reaction to every drop goal. <laughs> oh, it's my reaction to every drop goal. <laughs> yeah. It kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> okay. You're particularly happy about this. So to then just quickly pick up on the teams again, as I said, the the Welsh team made a lot of changes. Uh, Luke Charteris as well at the time was seen as a big kind of yeah. upset of bringing him in over, what's his face, over Bradley, Bradley Davis, Davis, who had fantastic Six Nations. But actually that Welsh pack was pretty much the standout thing. The Charge had a really good game. Alan Wynn, I thought, had a brilliant game, and I didn't remember that. And then yeah. they had that young back row of Dan Lydiot, Sam Warburton, and some guy called Lupe Falatau, who, funnily enough, the Georgians didn't struggle with that much. They yeah. really, they called him a completely different name first time, and then corrected themselves to Falatau, <laughs> and just got on with it. And this was Colin course. Jarvis, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this was, of course, Toby Falatau's first game without the Afro as well. Yes. Which is a very important factor in how well he played, as much as I miss the Afro, clearly. Mm. Uh, to be fair, I think there was a bit of like, conversation about whether it made him more aerodynamic or whatever. Mm. But, mm. I mean, either way, that back row played brilliantly, not least Warburton, of course. And mm. also, with the pack, the only change that the Welsh made in the entire game was Bradley Davis coming on for Alan Wynne-Jones. Yes. I think Alan Wynne ran himself into the ground, and they kind yeah. of replaced that. And I was kind of going to get onto this later in the game, but I think that was a huge difference between the two teams. Because yeah. the Welsh team didn't look knackered, but they weren't fresh by the end of that. Yeah, they were a agreed. team that were fit enough to play 80 minutes, but that doesn't mean they have to play 80 minutes. Yeah. It felt a bit like Gatlin making a statement for the sake of making a statement, rather than, and you know, for continuity and so on, that I get. Yeah. But Paul James was probably knackered by then. Yeah. And you look at that Francois Hugar try, he just can't cover the space. Yeah. As you say, like it was, the Welsh team looked really, really fit. But mm. naturally, even you know, Mo Farah, sixty minutes into a game of rugby, won't be as fit or fresh as somebody who's just come onto the field. Mo Farah yeah. won't be fresh five minutes after a game of rugby. But yes, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. We will, you will have two, we will have two separate Mo Farahs after five minutes of test rugby. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I remember. I remember thinking. For a long time back then, and I think credit where it's due, I think he can be well, kind of reminds me of Eddie Jones in a way, can be very stubborn. Mm. But he did down the line, he, he did stop doing this. But for, for, for a while, you know, he learned for a while that always felt trademark Gatlin to me, especially around that yeah. era. He just would keep these players on, he wouldn't bring on it. Like, it felt like he didn't trust his bench, and that's yeah. how I always viewed it. And I think kind of when, when you start reading the, the honest biographies and and listening to the really honest press, uh, in the really honest interviews and the press conferences, mm. and kind of reading between the lines and realise that it was more a case of I want my best players in the pitch. And I wonder yeah. with, with whether with Wales that that team was just such a classic team uh, mm. down the line, not yet at the time. Just a good yeah. team, desperately wanted them on the pitch. And as you say, they were fit enough to get away with it. Yeah, I think. I mean, personally, I think obviously it was a one point one point difference. Swallow that, guys. Um, <laughs> For me, I thought Wales were really hard done by in some of the refereeing decisions in the first half. Mm. I actually I feel like, and on another day, there aren't many games where I really say this, but I think the refereeing could have been the difference between the win and the mm. loss. The Wales were good enough for me. That's that's interesting because I 
didn't massively look at refereeing decisions, but there was, of course, the big controversial James Hook decision where he took mm. t- that kick at goal, and Wayne Barnes sort of signalled whether or not to go to the TMO. Uh, James Hook did the same thing back, doing a little box signal with the hands. And, of course, uh, one thing that this reminded me of is, Robbie, you'll definitely remember this, but the old Sam, our captain song that was like yes. the Welsh, an official World Cup anthem. And, of course, that had a verse in it which reads as follows. Wayne Barnes is a laughing stock. He's got a tiny little cock. James Hook asked him to go to TMO, but Barnsley said no. He can't do his job. We think he's a knob. But with Sam, our captain, we'll take the cup home to Sloop John <laughs> B by the Beach Boys. Very, the very heavy unofficial. on the there, isn't it? You are yes. right. It's very unofficial. <laughs> yeah. My favourite thing was, though, that the Welsh squad became aware of that and started singing along to it. <laughs> and they were joining in. Like, apparently it was Ken Owens got hold of it first and started showing the rest of the team. <laughs> because of course it was. Hanging out on like Carmarvenshire Online where this is being shared around. <laughs> so we're on Scarlet Fever. Yeah. I bet. I bet Ken Owens is on Scarlet Fever. <laughs> on I think the Scott Williams' dad's on there. That's a fun oh, fact. Absolutely. Whereas he hasn't joined the Ospreys fan forum. Or at least didn't before <laughs> they removed it midway through the season. Probably for tonal reasons. Yeah. On the refereeing thing. I decided, I noticed quite early on, that, again, there's a lot of, and this happened a lot in this World Cup, of high tackles that are let go, or there's like there's one early on where J.P. Peterson basically takes Shane's head off. Right, and, like, right. It looks like, you know when you've got a Lego figure that's attached, the head's attached too hard, and you have to kind of wiggle it to try and get it off? <laughs> it looked like he was doing that to Shane Williams, just trying to rip his head off as calmly as possible. And especially because Shane is built a bit like a Lego minifigure, you know, he's got like the shoulders and the build of a minifig. Mm. <laughs> and he had, at the time, that kind of haircut that looked like it was, like, dotted on top. But yeah, there was a lot of high tackles being let go. Yeah. And, yeah. If you, I think if you applied that to modern day, mm. you'd end up with 13 versus 13. Like, because the, <laughs> there's the yeah. kind of, you know, the, they're not necessarily high contact, and yet it, it hit the head. Yeah. You easily ended up with a lot of cards in this game. So I decide to start counting, because I think there's a lot of, like, rock entries in the side, and there are a few high tackles and so on. You just, you kind of go... Well, the way way games are refereed has changed since. But I'll just take a note of things that would be red cards nowadays. South Africa would have been down to 12 men at least, just from what I noticed. (laughs) So, shock Berger at one point. Toby Faletau is being tackled by someone else, and Berger just drops a shoulder onto his head, kind of Sonny Bill in the Lions style. Right. No one noticed it. No one cares. And at that point, the TMO couldn't step in for foul play, only in the act of scoring. So, nothing happens. There's a point in which kind of like Mornay staying almost like choke slams Foxy. He kind of like grabs him. Yeah, like, I saw that. Yeah. I kind of throws him at the ground, which is is one of those yellow cards you look at and could have been red. And then there's a moment in which Sam Warburton comes into the breakdown and I think this is yeah, quite a famous one. I noted this one. Yeah, yeah. kind of is over the ball, completely got hold of it, turnover penalties given and after the referee's whistle is blown Johan Muller charges in and shoulders straight into Warburton's head and Warburton yeah, then lies on the ground for a minute yeah, or two a proper cheap shot that was he just yeah. looks like he can clearly he doesn't look like he's concussed it but it's one of those things where you know when the the, the, the door frame is a little bit too low <laughs> yeah it looks like he's had exactly that sensation he bloody hurts yeah yeah I felt I felt for him yeah that, that's one of the things on my notes which sounds really sad <laughs> <laughs> shall we I've mentioned him. Should we talk about Sam Warburton for a moment? Always. Always. Like, always, always and forever. <laughs> my my best and closest friend, of Samuel course, Kennedy Warburton. 
so he made 20 tackles and five and a half turnovers. By, I mean, I was going to say by my count. I saw the stats at the end that he made 20 tackles. I didn't count them. But yeah, there was one last turnover at the end, which he got. And then basically Wales just got immediately turned over from the same breakdown, more or less. But all of those turnovers were at such key, crucial points of the game as well. Mm. Like as soon as the Springboks started to get a bit of momentum or in a decent territorial position for Wales, suddenly he would win like a breakdown. And the Royal penalties more or less as well. Yeah. So it was, that was kind such of a crucial thing. thing though, wasn't it? He lodged himself yeah. in the way so that you couldn't get there and you couldn't clear him out. So he won more penalties than he won like clean turnovers. Yeah. And there's also, you look at the stat, you mentioned the stats. His his negative stats, if you will, the the knock ons, the penalties conceded, the tackles missed, are all zero across the board as well. Of course, which is equally remarkable. The fact that he's yeah. managed to do all of that, he's been as evident on the game as he was, and yet, no, nope, no mistakes, nothing, no, no blots on the copybook. It's one of these guys where I mean, towards the end of the career, people would would say that you know he wasn't getting turners anymore, and he he you know he sort of he kind of admitted in his book that. For him, the big thing was slowing the ball down. Yeah. He didn't but yeah. I think at this time, in this game at least, he really was getting turnovers. Yeah. He was just an unreal pest. I remember kind of there's a few games that stand out on the memory of Walton. For me, it's just it's any well, it's any one of the on the last line series in twenty seventeen where yeah. he's just constantly slowing yeah. down the ball. He doesn't necessarily get it, but he's kind of slowing down. And this one yeah. where he just keeps turning it over and it's just so classic. And you would have think with Hyatt Rousseau, you would have thought he kept a bit just pilfering and pilfering but it wasn't mm. it was Walton it was just wonderful yeah. and so ended up being a tackle machine instead and there's a story I've heard about a South African fan saying to someone in a Wales shirt saying to a Welsh fan as they were leaving the gates of this game that I think your number seven might be the best player I've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> of just him this was kind of the game where he announced himself you know he'd come in the previous Six Nations against Italy over Martin Williams and had kind of made that shirt his own over the course of about a year but he'd yeah. made it his own in a kind of Welsh fans appreciate him sense rather than a properly world rugby's going, oh, this guy's good. This guy's special. In the way he then became, he's now talked about in the, 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 the air of the McCaws, the Pococks, the George Smiths of the world, of the great sevens of the Prussian era. Mm. I think the biggest thing is, is that negotiation in the third mm. test in 2017. Yes. Yeah. That, that, it, there's a lot of things you look back on and you think that was incredible. There aren't many things you look yeah. at at the time and you think that was incredible. And that felt like yes. just one of the standout captaincy moments mm. I've ever watched live. And it's, it's, it remains that way, even looking yeah. back. Yeah. It was just, I, I, can't, I can't describe it. It was just, he was so assured and he's not, you know, we know he's not a particularly aggressive personality. No. It felt, it, it just felt like he was an aggressive personality in that moment, and yeah, I mean, he he will always stand out to me as one of the best one of the best captains in in the game. Yeah, yeah. And it was the thing Gatlin said at the time that the reason he was Lions captain is because he was the best in the world at talking to the referee, especially now McCaw retired. And people at the time were complaining like, oh, he isn't the inspirational talisman or whatever. And actually, that's not important. That guy would be in the team anyway. And it's the thing yeah. I always think about, like, Farrell of England. I don't think Farrell should be the captain for that reason, just because he's the best leader. And sometimes you don't want the best leader to be your captain. You want the guy that talks to the referee and the guy that does the actual, the difference yeah. of the captaincy, which is basically your role is the coin toss, and it's talking to the referee. And Warburton was yeah. incredible. I assume he's really good at flipping a coin. But he was he was really, really good. He always picked tails. Yeah, the tails of Wales never fails. 
Yeah. But that's it. I, from what we were saying earlier, I guess with the whole Mike Brown thing, mm. was that the way that people convert from their off-field personality to the way they charge themselves up on the field. Yeah. Mm. What reversed that penalty for Warburton with the Lions? And I know we're a bit off topic here, but that was his off-field personality sort of yeah. showing and the way that he deals with other human beings. And guess what? The referee is also a human being. You know, we've this game officiated by yeah. robots. And he said he always says that like it's a way of negotiating by being reasonable with them, understanding fair calls rather than you know debating every lost cause. And eventually, they know you have a case, which he did then. Yeah, exactly. Rather than just overplaying your hand, rather than just yeah. shouting and getting on the referee's nerves, you you stay calm. You talk to them when you need to. And he does actually. Do you think later on in his career he would have appealed that penalty decision, the James Hook kick that wasn't given? Probably, yeah. I think mm. that's a, that's a fair call. He would probably would have seen it probably, back once yeah. on the DVD and questioned yeah. it. Yeah, because it was inside his first ga- five games as captain at senior level. He'd obviously yeah. captained his twenties and so on. It's an interesting but, point. Yeah, he hadn't captained the Blues. He captained Wales, I think. Yeah, four times maybe before yeah. this game. He just yeah the Barbars game and then the three warm-ups. Yeah. Hmm, that's an interesting point. Actually, I'd never thought that. I could see it. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be loath to say that he would. I don't believe it. Yeah. I've never captained. It might surprise you. So I've never captained an international team. <laughs> you know, Wait, what are you sit doing down. Here? Sorry, sit when I down. played to Harlequins, I yeah. wanted Chris Upshaw. I wanted someone to talk about making decisions in key moments of World <laughs> Cup games involving Wales. No, I'm, I'm skating over that. Um, <laughs> no, he, yeah, no, I mean, he, he, I hate, I'd, I'd be reticent to say he would have done that. But yeah, you get the feeling he did just become much more forthright in that moment in the Lions yeah. test. Felt like he probably wasn't at the point to to be that for at the time. Yeah, I like to I like to imagine he probably would have revealed it. I mean, watching it back, I, I forgot about this when I was watching the game. It wasn't until it happened I went, "Oh, it was this game." <laughs> I still couldn't believe. I still can't believe that. It was crazy. Mm. I was surprised mm. it was, there wasn't as much fuss made on the pitch as well. Obviously, yeah. It was like these well, days, it would have been much more of a big deal on the pitch with the players. Yeah, and yeah. it was something people talked about for ages afterwards it kind of kept coming up as an excuse. It was a bit like the Reese Hodge tackle in the World Cup last year. These small moments that actually, they do have an impact on the game, but not quite as bigly as they're, bigly, I'm Donald Trump bigly. now, as they get blown up to be. You know, yeah. they kind of, they get talked about a lot. Because they a different chain of events, don't they? Because you don't know, yeah. sort of the whole butterfly yeah. effect, isn't it? You don't know if they would have made different decisions, but I think, it, you know, you can only say that if it was literally at the death, can't yeah. you? But yeah, no, it exactly. did feel... It like a huge moment, such a close game, but it's, it, still, it still blows my mind. Mm. I think goal kicking was a big talking point of this whole tournament, to be fair, because yeah. the previous day, and the Georgian commentators did start talking about it, was the whole Rodriguez and Wilkinson thing from mm. what was, I believe, only the day before. <laughs> so, yeah, a ga- the game, game probably felt like it just days. finished. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of those kicks from Martin Rodriguez still sailing over the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like the... When it's somebody like ITV, they always need something that's away from just the like regular analysis of rugby that they can just talk at lengths about, that they can make out as really controversial when it's not. So mm. that was clearly it for this game. That was the thing that kept coming up. But it does, it kind of leads me on to my point and my thought about Wales. I remember, Ali, actually, as we were, uh, we watched the Wales-England game this year in the Six Nations together. I remember as we were trying to find somewhere to watch it, in the end, we ended up watching in purgatory, apparently. Because <laughs> yes. it was. Do you want to describe the pub we watched it in? 
Yeah, the name has actually escaped me at the moment. Or the, um, I think it was the Willie Morales you know, or something. It was. Like it was that. the Willie Morales. Yeah. It was. It was. We were in purgatory because it was so rammed, and we were yeah. legging it from the England England Wales women's game um, yes. at the stoop. And I was moaning because I'd given myself blisters in my new boots. <laughs> but yeah, we, we managed to eventually. We found this park. Like, this is it. It's a crowd of it. We'll do it. And we were we were stuck between these the traditional seating lines. Hmm. Wedge between these two guys who kept forgetting that they had their table and we had ours. So I think we was yes. turned into a shared situation, and yeah. it was like a, an invasion from the front of us, where the people in the chairs was every time you go somewhere or you'd wait, they'd come back and they they were a little bit closer. It reminded me of the statues in Doctor Who. Every time you blinked, <laughs> everyone was a little bit closer to you, and we ended up so damn so damn cozy by the end of it. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, the other thing about that poem is as well, the moment you walk through the door, there's a massive picture of Martin Johnson lifting the World Cup, just kind of emblazoned over a full wall, which kind of set up for me, walking in as one of the like 10 Wales fans in the building, set up what was to come, watching it in kind of very cosy. I was also just wearing like a normal shirt rather than a Wales shirt, which felt odd to be watching an international not in red. Mm And I felt like I wasn't properly, because I don't have an accent as well, I felt like, how do I properly communicate that I didn't enjoy Anthony Watson's scoring? <laughs> you need to stand up on the tables and start shouting, and drop the subsilio, go, go, go. You're showing off. You're showing off. I'll just stand up and shout, Murpha. Yeah, because that's the closest I can do. Bring back Neath or something like that. The regions are a joke. Pont de Brive! Yeah. <laughs> Sonny Parker was so underrated. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, having played Rugby 08 this week, he was. <laughs> so, but there was a point you made in as we were walking along, in which I mentioned that I felt 2019 was kind of the great mischance for Wales in terms of winning a World Cup. Mm. And you'd said something like you felt 2011 perhaps was instead. Yeah, I mean, because again, I remember being distraught on behalf of Wales for that, that red card. The Warburton red card. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I was sat on my uh, on the living room floor of my mate's house. I was watching it. His, 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 his dad and their mates on the sofas, and we were just watching. And I've never felt so passionate about a decision against another team, another yeah. country. And it always felt to me like you look at the way the All Blacks played in the final, and kind of the the way France played in the final. The the, the method of play, as opposed to whether they were they were bad or not. I felt like it would have suited this Welsh team brilliantly and mm. for me uh, it always felt like Wales were robbed that year I always felt like that was even though they you know they, they didn't make it to the final I felt like they were worthy finalists but I can't I think of my mind as finalists in 2011 even though I know they didn't go that far and and I, I want to uh, before I dive on to well how do you feel on the same topic of was this Welsh <laughs> team good enough to to have won it it's a funny thing because I think it's slightly dampened by the fact that I think the 2019 team is now the one that I look back at and think that's the one that got away. So I think mm. that's weirdly made me cope with watching back 2011 a bit better. <laughs> Admittedly, I'm not looking forward to eventually doing a Wales-France match, oh. an episode for that, for this. But it's a funny thing, though, because I can just about deal with this because I wasn't expecting this Wales team to do that as well as it did. Mm. So it was a bit of a shock at the time. Because, OK, so I've always felt this Wales team wasn't mentally strong enough to win a World Cup and I always felt like they just they weren't going to do it and yeah 
if it wasn't for the red, the red card was perfect because it gave Wales an out and it gave them an excuse and it gave them something to be angry about because this team wasn't mature enough to win a World Cup in the way the 2019 team was. And the 2019 yeah. team wasn't as talented a 15 of players, I don't think. Uh, certainly not by the time they had the amount of injuries they did by the quarters and semi-finals. Yeah. But they did have this ability to win and they understood how to win tie games in a way this team didn't. And you look at this particular match and actually, A, they shouldn't have really conceded that try to Francois Hogar. There was a couple of mistakes in the lead up and then you get to the actual try itself is really simple once South Africa worked a few phases and Shane Williams completely runs straight past the ruck and just lets Hogar go straight through who is at the time kind of his opposite number lets him just go straight in under the posts and it's, he leaves Paul James covering about seven or eight yards which Paul James Paul James has just played 65 minutes he's not going to make it yeah yeah isn't it a thing that legend has it that Fauri Dupree calls to Francois Hohart like in three phases time you're supposed to run this arcing line outside yeah. me which they'd run on quite a lot during the game but he called that three or four phases in advance which is I just can't think of another scrum off in history arguably other than Fauri Dupree who could have called that so accurately that they'd catch a Welsh guard out of place and find a bit of a gap yeah so this is the thing I thought Fauri Dupree was phenomenal he was, and I he was the reason why I won that game for me yeah I, this was the other thought I had, was that if Wales had Foy Dupree, they would have won the World Cup. And I don't think even if, even if their red card was given, Foy Dupree and that Welsh team, and they win the World Cup. Because Mike Phillips was, bless him, he was good at what he did, but he wasn't smart enough. Yeah, and I kind of, yeah, he just, he didn't have the game understanding. He didn't have the intellect at all. Like he had the kind of, the, 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 the grace and decorum and intellect of like, of, of Boris Johnson in a go-kart. Like, he was just kind of, like, fumbling around and bumbling forwards. And he just, like... It, you, I almost knocked over my glass of water there. I'm animated. But there's a there's this thing that happened a lot in this World Cup where, because Conor Murray is first coming through, and people were comparing Phillips a lot to Conor Murray. And you watch Phillips play in this game, and he doesn't have the vision, he doesn't have the intellect, he doesn't have the game understanding, he doesn't have an ounce of yeah. what Murray saw when he watched a rugby match. It, it's 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 like comparing Dan Carter to an otter because they've both kind of got fur on some parts <laughs> of their body. It's it's just like it's it's a single brain organism, single cell organism being compared to someone that's actually a talented in good international rugby player. Cause like Phillips just wasn't wired up properly. He couldn't see space. And when he could he wanted to go for it for himself. He wasn't there's a moment yeah. in not long after that try where basically exactly the same thing happens that one of these South African defenders overshoots and George North then spots it and comes running his really hard line. And if Phillips gives him the ball, there's like a a 70-30 chance North's going under the post because he's about 10 metres out. And so Phillips picks up, waits a second and just runs into the defender himself because he spots the gap himself and that's all he can think to do. He isn't thinking about the players around him because like, the, the, only, the only part, the only thing his brain's connected to is the optic nerve is connected to his eyes so that he can kind of look up and see either a defender or a McDonald's bouncer just charge heads first into them. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, I, I realise I'm going off on one, but I felt like Mike Phillips was a good player at what he did. He was big, he was physical, he was all that. But he didn't have the intellect you needed in a team, especially this inexperience. And with a 10, like Phillips, yes, he had lots of caps, Mike Phillips by this point, he probably had 50-ish caps plus, but he just couldn't think. Yeah. One of my notes, one of my notes from this game is, is that Mike Phillips was an animal, and it reminded me almost of, because he was he was, was not carrying, yeah. he was tackling, <laughs> he physically, like you say, he was he was outstanding. That's not necessarily what you want from the scrum half, and it almost 
it reminds me of one of Billy Twelvetree's last few games for England when he came off the bench and he was so clearly desperate and so clearly wanted that jersey yes. so badly that it was like he came on as a back row and he was just smashing things. He, I just, remember that. His blonde hair was just flying everywhere. Um, I think people, I can't remember, I think, I can't, it might have been Eddie Butler saying that I think the line was, was Billy Twelvetree's looks like a man possessed. So yeah. he was just going, going, and I kind of, what Mike Phillips reminded me of there, he was just, to Peter Steph, the trees. Going. Yeah, talk as Peter Steph. It's a good toy. Did you look every time John de Villiers went to contact and mistake him? <laughs> oh, I can. It... Oh, no, sorry, too early. Yeah, I can't, yeah. You know, it happened less to extent when Scott Berger, when his hair wasn't flying. Yeah. I kept thinking, my, my brain says to toy, what? No, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> Big, tall lad with wavy blonde hair mm. in a South African jersey. No, I can completely see that. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hmm. I'll also just quickly add that I am going back to Mike Phillips. I've, hmm. I was always typically like the most anti-Mike Phillips person in history. And like I, I've always been obsessed with the idea of you know, decently quick ball, which he didn't bring. Uh, obviously, Tavis Noyles on the bench here, who isn't really experienced enough to bring him on at all at this point. And of course, leading into this World Cup, there was the whole incident with Rob Howley falling up Dwayne Peel and yes. pretending that he was injured. And then Dwayne Peel saying, no, I'm not injured. And Rob Howley going, shut up, shut up, go away, <laughs> sort of thing. And I can just remember this whole time thinking, like, oh, if only I had Dwayne Peel to come off the bench and bring a bit of energy and so on. And the one time that somebody injected a bit of pace from... Uh, any sort of standstill to yeah. Wales was Shane Williams. Yeah, uh, Shane comes in at it, nine. And... Yeah, and does a great quick tap and makes about 20 yards off of, of Warburton turnover. And there's so many times in this game where Shane would come in at nine, 10, 15, mm. wherever he was in the line, he would make so much space. All the space Wales found in this game other than from kicking was via Shane. Basically, they wanted the full back line of Shane's. Yeah. And maybe, you know, Shane can kick goals. That's fine. Shane's, I've seen Shane drop goals. I've seen him kick goals. Shane could do everything. Let's put Shane... It's 14 Shanes and Adam Jones. That's my team. That's my dream Welsh team. Shane Williams is, I think, the guy that really made me fall in love with rugby. Mm. I'm watching him again. Again, one of my other notes is just I forgot that... I forgot quite how much of a wizard he was. And I think think, um, Cheslin Colby is the closest we've come to anything like him since. And even now, Mm. I don't think it's... It's just the thing is the acceleration he had. The, yeah. the way he, he'd suddenly get away from people and the giants he would fell was just wonderful. I, I just forgot how incredible he was and why he made me properly fall in love with rugby. Yeah. It was so, so good to watch a full game of him again. 
you, because yes. you remember most of his games were highlight reels. There was just yeah, so yeah. much of it. It was such a wonderful player. And there's this thing that doesn't forgot, come up. Looking at the lineup, I forgot how short he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. There's this thing as well that doesn't come up on his highlight reels, which is how often he came in the tent and just made space for other people. And there's a few Jamie Roberts carries, which are him kind of dropping off to him because everyone's watching Shane and knowing he could go in any direction at any moment. And you've got three defenders just watching him and suddenly, bam, there's the biggest man in Wales charging at you. Yeah, there's one point when he gives the ball twice to Alan Wynne Jones, sort of stood on the wing, where mm. he pops yes. up to 10. And there's one in particular where he sort of gets the ball, faints to step one way, then does sort of a double step to his left, leaves two people in his wake, and then gives the ball to a completely static Alan Wynn who's not really sure how to read this line. And Alan Wynn's kind of inadvertently made a line break just because Shane's made that much space for him. Yeah. Oh, it's he He was fantastic. And he had a complete all-round game as well, in yeah. a way not many wingers genuinely do. And when you talk about wingers having an all-round game, they tend to mean they can take a high ball, they can finish and they can do one specialist skill so in Shane's case it'd be finishing in North's case it'd be bouncing people off or Lomu's case you know actually Shane could do everything Shane could have operated as a 10 or 12 maybe not a 12 in this era but a 12 in the 70s he could have worked as yeah I will just then dip back to the point I was beginning to make before I was kind of making before on the when I went on a rant about Mike Phillips but I just don't think I said this this Wales team basically only had one player with that, and I know what I just said about Shane, with the kind of game management and rugby intellect in Priestland, yeah. too. And you could have brought in Stephen Jones if it, when he's fit, but it didn't have the 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 intellect to try and work around things. And so you actually saw after that Franco Hugar try, Wales get into the twenty two three times, which I'd forgotten, and James Hook misses a penalty. Reese Priestland misses a drop goal from directly between the posts. Like he strikes yeah. it. It's an awful drop goal attempt. I know. And they then have another chance where they just get turned over and lose the ball. And South Africa only get back down, you know, in that final quarter, they get into the World 22 twice. They score a try for Franco Hugar to put them back ahead and to win the game. And then they get down there and they spend three minutes in possession and they run the clock down. So Wales only have 15 seconds when they turn it over in which to try and do something by the time they, they win the scrum. And there's the sheer difference between teams and their ability to do that. And it is it's partly Mornay Stone being actually a really calm, yeah, collected fly-off. Yeah. And mostly just uh, Fori Dupria being absolutely phenomenal and reading the game in a way very... It's You know, like we've talked a few times about how players have got better and players have got smarter over the last 10 years. Fori Dupria is playing like a player from 2046. Like yeah. he is thirty years ahead of where we are now. Never mind when he was actually playing ten years ago. Quick maths. He would completely, completely dominate at any level of rugby right up for the next fifteen years. I reckon, at least. I think yeah. that that South Africa getting into twenty two in that second half. I think it comes back again to to, to Wales not having the replacements to stand toe to toe. You look at Derek Alberts coming on. You do all the other. Just you look at though Bismarck Dupassi came on. Yeah. They just. South Africa is such a big country, and actually, aside from New Zealand, because they are just they're so there's an anomaly in being a small nation, but unreal in every single person that plays rugby there. South Africa kind of like they kind of remind me of Wales because they just that is that love, there's that unreal passion for rugby, but they are just so much bigger. There's so many more chances to come across big people who play rugby well, and I think yeah. it's, that's just what happened on that day. They had the people, the faith in the bench to bring on the power. And like you say, Hugard comes on, you know, and, and does his thing, you know, behind a, a pretty fresh pack. Yeah. I think, again, and that was a big thing. 
They also way ahead of. I mean, actually, whenever they cut the coach's box, I was very aware of one man sat almost out of shot, who is a Mister Johann Erasmus, better known by his nickname Razi. I'm always fascinated by when he became known as Razi rather than Johann, because mm. I've been back to watch clips of him playing, and everyone refers to him as Johann Erasmus. But somewhere along the way, his name, his Wikipedia page, his everything becomes Razi. His name officially becomes. I wonder when he changed that when he put the decal up. Snazzy Razi, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> had a pati- like a maybe the Eagles had a particularly good karaoke night on the team social. And <laughs> Jazzy Erasmus. That's <laughs> <laughs> so much better than mine. That's so much better than mine. <laughs> so you look at the bench, actually. And back when we only had six-man benches rather than seven, they had two props, a hooker, and a second row on the bench. They did a, a 5-2 split before obviously it was a 6-2 yeah. split. And they kind of had that bomb squad idea going eight years ahead, mm. and you can you can wager that was that was the responsibility of their special consultant, Mister Erasmus. Yeah, they didn't bring on Van der Linde, mind you. They only no. used three of the bomb squad back when it was a four man contingent. Also, like that South Africa bench are all impact players. You know, they're all oh, someone yeah. who'll come on and do something different, other than Brock James. No, Butch James. Sorry. Who was playing? Other I do that. Brock I always James. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that earlier. Other than than, than Brock James, who comes on to sell gloves to everyone else. <laughs> but, no, Butch James is kind of there in the the role Fran Stain was because he can play twelve, ten, and fullback, and he's got a massive boot. And actually, the rest of the bench are impact players. So who goes there? He comes on the wing. He scores the winning try, and they bring him on because as well as covering scrum half, he's able to cover the wing and he hits good lines. And then Muller, very different second row to the two they had starting. They have Steinkamp and Bismarck, who are, again, different players and come on and change the game. And that it's not the case of the Welsh team, where that bench is just shitter versions of the players who were starting. Yeah. it's Mike Phillips is a shit. No, sorry. <laughs> Mike Phillips is shit. But no, uh, Tavis Muller <laughs> is a shit Mike Phillips. And yeah, the Mike only player you should look at... Bradley Davis is a case of he's about as good as the other, as yeah. Luke Charteris. So he's kind of the, the exception. And Halfpenny as well, but he's not really an impact player, is he? No. And then Andy Powell is the only player you look at and go, actually, he's probably an impact player. He changed something when he came on. He kind of yeah. try and Just realised I called him Derek Alberts as well. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. <laughs> 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 Ryan Bevan, I guess, is a different type of player, but that's why they don't bring him on, because he couldn't yeah. cope with the scrum. Yeah, he'd have um, got eaten by Gianni Duplessis. And he's only in because Geffen Jenkins is injured. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot of that bench and that decision making late on is it wasn't good enough. And Wales had three chances to win the game late on, and they didn't take any of them. And South Africa kept handing them chances as well. There's enough, you know, that there's the the case in which Priestland spreads this lovely grubber fruit, and France is just waiting for it to go into touch. Yes, and, pushed out. Yeah, James Hook just comes and shoves him, so he knocks the ball into touch, and Wales get the line out five minutes out, which eventually leads to the Palatel try. Yeah, I'd like to quickly touch on Priestland's kicking for the corner and stuff. Yes. I think because it's a, such a difficult task playing against two stains who are booting the ball miles over your heads all the time. But the way Priestland kicked was just all about space rather yeah. than necessarily about having a big boot or anything. And quite often he would manage to buy that extra second on the chase. There was the very early one where Falatau managed to make for a Dupree and knock the ball on. And mm. there was another one where Stain sliced a kick, Morley Stain this was, sliced a kick return. And there's so many opportunities like that where 
pretty managed to find space in the 22, especially yeah. one where Frunstein sort of had to bat to keep the ball in, then fumbled it behind his try line a bit. Still managed to knock it back about 50 yards, but it's one thing, it was such a threatening kicking game. And Preston had a great game. It was such a shame about missing that sitter of a drop goal at the end. Yeah. I, so there's a point I wrote down as well, because I did at a certain point change to the ITV commentary. I did go and find that. Coward. Because there was something about it. Not only was the commentary in Georgian, but I, you could hear Grand Nisbet's commentary in the background. Yeah. And so it just sounds like two blokes talking over the game. It sounds mm-hmm. like two annoying blokes in the pub talking really loudly in Georgian and struggling to pronounce Priestland. So when I put There's a joke in the there com- about being an Englishman in a Welsh pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're walking. And now you know how we Georgian. feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in Wales and they will start talking Georgian. Um, you, you walk in and bloody Falatau and his family start speaking Tongan. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I've got two points on Mars Harrison, one on the kicking thing you're saying, and it was the start of that very Gatlin kicking strategy they employed for a few years, where they would kick for space. They would kick for it to stay in field so the fullback and the wing would be kind of contorted into weird positions. And they'd just kind of have the ball lie there and they'd have to kick it back. And they'd then hopefully get a net gain from it. And they, that worked quite a lot often. But yeah. there's two points at which Nick Mullins goes, well, that's just kind of a nothing kick, where that's, you know, there's no point in that. And I kind of get it because at that point, you were so used to seeing the Dan Parks, Ronan Agara kick for the corners. And to see someone do something radically different to that, repeatedly, probably felt like he was just a bad attempt at it, when actually it was a really interesting new tactic that was being kind of unveiled for the world in this World Cup. And the other phrase I wrote down was something Nick Mullin said on the brink of half-time, where he said, there's a contented burble going around the cake tin. Which, Good name for a band. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. It, 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 it's not my favorite preserve the contented burble you know it's not i wouldn't normally put it on my toast but and also because he said around the cake tin it sounds like it's kind of been <laughs> trapped there so yeah i just wanted to bring up the phrase contented burble hmm. again Thank could you have come doing. up in a geography paper yeah <laughs> that streams a bit of a contented burble does anyone else have anything else i'm going to read out my list of notes my <laughs> my bullet points i like it it's just they've been <laughs> So, one, I forgot how tall Mike Phillips was. Mm. Two, I forgot how small Shane Williams was. Yeah. It's nice to see the middle version of Franz Stein again. Yes. Like, Franz Stein post... Yeah. Like, post being the youngest player to play in a World Cup final and all of that. But pre-highs. Yeah. There's been so many different versions of Franz Stein. It was just nice to see this particular one again. Yeah, like, I would like a moustache. An evolution of man with Franz Dane and gradually yeah. wider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. When I when I pause it at one point when he's celebrating the try, you can see just the fledgling shadow of the belly. This is the first <laughs> thing made its debut that day. When he's doing that evolution of man, they're increasingly far apart as well. Like because of his, the size of his boot, like he's booted the next one on, slowly moving to, to France. Yeah. yeah, there's one moment as well, just to pick up on the Franz Dane thing, where Franz Dane is. <laughs> takes a high ball and calls the mark and George North comes and hits him after he's called the mark and he's furious and he dumps kicking the ball at North's head <laughs> and then kind of just out of sheer anger and like I'm Fran Stain this will hurt this will be your first concussion George get used to it Yeah. and then when he does kind of when North's walked away he then boots it right into the Welsh 22 from his own 22 in a moment of like I'm so angry I'm completely tempered to use a Welsh word 
And George North was eight years old at that point as well. He yeah. could have died. <laughs> you're picking the smallest kid in the playground, except he's built like George North. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, your notes. No, I think these are. I like this. We can keep going on tangents. I will provide the stupid note. Please. And you, you go. You add the info. This is the format. Love it. So Pierre Spice looked like he was growing in a lap. Yes. Yeah, he was a player who had all the attributes and should have been world class. And yet it never quite happened, but probably because he was born in a lab and kind of just dropped off at the age of 19 in the under-20s, rather than actually growing up playing minis rugby, developing skills. He looked like he'd been cast in a superhero film. He just had these weirdly perfect dimensions. Yeah. That people will spend a lot of time trying to achieve. (laughs) Somehow, somehow he got them. Um, (laughs) Jacques Fries' sidekick. Yeah. Is there like a fat version of Pierre Spies who starred in a sitcom before? <laughs> On a, in a sitcom? Yeah, in a sitcom, and he lost all that weight to be in a Marvel movie. And he built himself <laughs> into this. Oh, okay. So it's like Chris name? Pratt, but... That's it, exactly. It's Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm with you there. Yeah, But he is, he's in that kind of, as you say, it's properly Marvel movie proportions, isn't it? Mm. He's really He's weird. built like an Avenger. <laughs> Almost, this film yeah. podcast going well, by the way. Oh, thank you, yeah. I haven't mentioned any foreign language films today. No, not yet. Uh, happy well, we, we, we've Molly already, we've uh, already agreed from, that you yeah, are Black the professor from Money Heist. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I take it well. I, take, I am slightly less handsome and slightly Spanish version. Uh, next note, come on. <laughs> um, Blackberry on advertisement boards. A sign of the times. Wow. Yeah. There's a throwback. <laughs> That's so 2011. That very much is. I yeah, did, it really it really set the scene. I did watch a few of the adverts post match when they kind of the game immediately finished, and it came up with a thing saying, "Next Friday, the Star Wars saga on Blu-ray for the first time." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Which sign of the times? That's what you could have been doing during that World Cup. You could have gone to see Friends with Benefits at the cinema, and you could have watched the Star Wars collection on Blu-ray for the first time, or listened to moves like Jagger on repeat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> welcome to 2011, people. It only gets better from here oh, until twenty twelve. At this point, call it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Barbara! Str- I've forgotten about that song. Mm. That was the lowest quality needed to require being a banger. Mm. Debatable. That was yeah. <laughs> that was like sat teetering on the brink. Of actually, when I think back, I probably didn't like it at the time, but looking back on it, solid. I think where, that's where Pitbull set the bar. That's where he <laughs> went from. <laughs> Both set no bars. <laughs> okay, fair The, man, the expect- man rhymed Kodak with Kodak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pitbull only set the bar for mafia men turned pop stars. <laughs> Wait, is that true? No, it's just. <laughs> it's, I mean, it could be. Like, no one's allowed you. to mention it. I believe you. It's a rumor that <laughs> <it> started here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's dive on it. This is how it starts. There were 13 people at the bottom of a canal, thanks to Pitbull. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any more notes? And are they about Pitbull? (laughs) I want to make a new one up that is about Pitbull, but that would be forcing it. Please do. No, okay. Um, You can't do that to us now. I'm going to work him into my last one. Okay, I like it. Drop girls are in fashion, but really bad. And I bet Pitbull was good at drop girls. Oh, I bet he was. <laughs> Mostly because his head looked like a ball. I, yeah, I had to work him in there. He's in there. Pitbull ripping his own head off like Shane Williams and J.P. Peterson to drop it down. 
<laughs> boot it over. I can't imagine Pitbull going for a drop goal. Me I don't know why. <laughs> for me, hard carrier. I've just got this image of Pitbull sat in the, the pocket organising his forwards in front of him. <laughs> saying, no, you need to be there. I need my blocker in place. I can't, I've just got this image of Pitbull trying to organise that. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide! <laughs> Mr. Spread it wide, yeah. Oh! That's very good. Every other move would be fireball, yeah. <laughs> Pitbull, to me, if he was a rugby player, would be the kind of 12 you had about this period where Jamie Roberts and Mon Honor had happened and you yeah. just picked a big fat lad who couldn't pass and stuck him at 12. That's the kind of player Pitbull would have been. He looks kind of like Sterling Mortlock, so it works. <laughs> That's it. He looked a bit like Sterling Mortlock, so they tried to pass him off. They put him straight into the USA team in this kind of pre Lasique, who incidentally, say hello to? I don't know. Just realised he's... Yeah. Yeah. Get <laughs> Yeah, get him to write a song with Pitbull. Have you get seen the his collab? You've seen his singing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, incredible. He's, he's incredible. It's insane. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah, um, he's incredible. genuinely Sarah Beckett as well. Yes, yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, between Paul and CK and Sarah Beckett, we have some unbelievable singing talent at Quinn's. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, I, So we put out the Paul and CK videos, and then mm. some of the women's players messaged me and said, get Beckett on, get Beckett mm. on. So it is. Would you mind singing a song? And we'll put it on social media. And she came out singing Jolene, and blew my mind. I saw it. It's it's Oof. really good. Like say, properly, I've not seen properly. It. You'd be impressed if you heard it's, it in a lounge or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to find it now. Professional rugby players, man, they can do it all, and I can't do anything. And uh, it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they can do it all. They adopt different personalities. They're surprisingly right, just... nice people. <laughs> Write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> Craft services. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, it's obviously a very strange time at the moment for everyone. Um, the guys have asked me to share a song, so I can't understand it good, but I will share one. So, here goes. Oh, that's when, <laughs> that's when it says Instagram. Please keep watching. I'll stop there because we could go on for ages, but that's incredible. She is yeah, insane. Hey everyone, I'm oh God, sorry, <laughs> One more song. One more it's good, song. but I don't want to hear it a second time. No, it, it's just stunning. Just the the, 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 the vocals on her and the TK were just just brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. So if anyone else wants to listen, head to the Harlequin social media channels. Pitbull a follow, pit a like. Uh, pitbull, if you're listening. He's always on. He's always never on. Off. Professional. Uh, yeah. oh, no, stoked, honestly, man. it was... I, I could, I, you could make an album of the yeah. CK and Beckett songs and I, I picked that on repeat. Featuring Pitbull. Featuring yeah. Pitbull. <laughs> pitbull, <laughs> Joe Marler, done. Yeah. You've got the whole gang out. I'd love to get Joe Marler to this <laughs> The closest I can do to a segue is... Jolene Muller coming off the bench. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's, that's the yeah, best I've got. Uh, it's it's not. Don't don't flatter me. I don't deserve it. <laughs> I quit this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Have we got anything else? Any other notes written down, or was that your last one? No, that my last note. The drop goals, which we didn't actually talk about. The drop goal. Yes. No, yeah, that was my that was my last note. Everything else is just like actual things that happened in the game. Oh, hang on. This is this is this is quite. Okay, I've got one in 43 minutes that says James ends Roberts. <laughs> I, 
Oh, uh, Brock, yeah. I'm getting confused between the Brock and the Brock, Brock James. Butch James. Butch, Butch James. James. Butch James. Yeah, he, it really surprised me. He absolutely ended Jamie Roberts at one <laughs> point, which is amazing, considering how the rules were playing. And, mm. and Butch James was, what, 31 at the time yeah. or something? Mm. He ended it. <laughs> kind of blindsided both Roberts and me. <laughs> yeah, and it was with the, the drop goals as well. Like I love drop goals, and they kind of come round every World Cup. I said this has come to Ben James of, of Wales Online quite recently. Of like they seem to reappear every World Cup, and I love that. And I love that there were there were three drop goal attempts. I'm less fond of the fact all of them were missed, but yeah. and two of them were yeah. from basically halfway. But again, that just to quickly touch on it, that Priest and drop goal really bothers me because a team should be slotting that. Yeah, and if Priestin doesn't fancy it, or Priestin's going to hit it like that, you've got hook as well. You've got a second kicking option. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's that, and there's also there's a there's that lovely break where Falatau goes and offloads to Roberts, and they knock it on five meters off the line. Me. Yeah, I know. And that was the moment. Like if Wales score there, they're under the posts. They're already six up. They're then thirteen up, which yeah. is a huge lead for fifty minutes ago. Even against the world champions, even against as well organized a team that's got literally forward a prior at nine. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's that moment, and then moments later, there's another break where Jonathan Davis goes through, and they yeah. had to finish one of those two while they had that momentum, and they yeah. didn't, and they didn't take the points when they're on offer with the the two the three pointer attempts. Yeah, it's just I... strange because you see, like I spent a bit of time seeing training for various reasons mm. throughout various different careers. You know, I was one point I was training to be a strength conditioning coach, but and it, you see players doing drop goals all the time. Yeah. In training, and they nail it. In like the most obscure players doing it, I saw Matt Garvey standing on the touchline in line with the with the sticks, drop goal, curve it through and around. It was like <laughs> wow. It was honestly like the, the thing these players do. But it just, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that Matt Garvey should play by heart. The point I'm trying to make <laughs> is that it's just a kind of indication of what the pressure in these games yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, in these situations, these people who can do unreal things by our mm. standards. Speaking for yeah. myself, um, <laughs> uh, there's the pressure. It, it's, it kind of, it's a reminder of get again of how yeah. hard it is to do what you're good at in front um, of such big crowds. That's exactly my point about this Welsh team, and I guess I'll, I'll probably end touch on it when we get on to the semi final eventually. But they weren't able to deal with that pressure, and that was the difference between them and the South African team. And that was the difference. And if they had made that final, if they had luckily, you know, if Stephen Jones or Harper had got one of those two kicks late on in that quarter, that's semi final. I don't think they would have won the final because they no. didn't know how to deal with that pressure in the way the All Blacks just about did. Yeah. And even France did. And the South African team definitely didn't. They won a World Cup off it before that. And it's just, this was the problem with this Wales team is they, I don't think they were mature enough because they couldn't deal with that pressure. And that's kind of my, my lasting thing I took away from this game is I felt almost quite angry about it because they just, they weren't mature enough. And if they could have, yeah, you Eventually, they build into it by 2019, but it takes eight years for this team to get into a position, or maybe seven years. It takes them until pretty much 2017, 2018, until they get into a place in which they're able to start winning those tight games Yeah, on against anything more than Scotland. Yeah. As I say, it's a bit of a mental barrier, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Having that maturity. And like at this point, like even Jonathan Davis, who as we touched on, had a great game. He was still quite young at this point. You know, and now he's the vice captain. Like yeah. it's a big, big jump. Now he's the person. You know, he's he was what man of the tour in a drawing lions series in, in New Zealand. Like that's a hell of a jump, and it it's I guess testament to him now for being the sort of person who does close games out. I know that closing games out, you think if you're nine and you're ten, but you know you need everybody else to follow them up, don't you? And he's exactly that yeah. sort of player you want. 
as you say, like that six or seven years is a big difference for this team to mature. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I think we've yeah. we've rambled quite a lot. We've gone on quite a long time at this point. We have. Yeah. Shall we move on to our finally our man of the match and our dick of the day? Yeah. William Reese Owen. Do you want to begin? Sure. Should we start with man of the match? Yeah, let's start with Man of the Match. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> controversial decisions all around, I'm sure. But I'll start with a few of the nominated players. I think uh, Scott Berger, Mone Stain were brilliant South Africa. Mm. Forida Priya was just, as I said, we touched on earlier, he's the reason why they won that game. And they, they didn't give in to any of the pressure that Wales put on them was Forida Priya, just completely mm. batting it back all the time. I'm afraid I'm going to give it to a Welsh player. Priestland was great. Shane was great. Jamie Roberts was great. And also, I want to say, I'm not going to give it to this guy, but Hugh Bennett had the best game I've yes. ever, ever, ever seen him play. Yes, uh, absolutely. Hugh yeah. Bennett was fantastic. And, and he'd been on a really poor bunch of form in the Six Nations yeah. of the Ospreys that year. And no he suddenly, out of nowhere, had this brilliant game. And yeah. it was, let's say, maybe the best game he played in his life. It was, during this tournament, was the best form of his life. Yeah. And he was fantastic. Yeah. Matthew Reese and Richard Hibbard were both ruled out of this tournament. Yeah. And I had zero faith in Bennett whatsoever uh, to be like, even like of a decent standard at this point and he really really played up to it and now yeah. I reflect on Bennett as a really good player and as I say this is the best game I ever saw him play and I'm not quite going to give him man of the match because this is one of the best games I ever saw Sam Warburton play and I saw him play <laughs> a hell of a lot of good games at, t- at top levels but as I say like so many tackles so many turnovers all at key moments of the game leaving the team as a young man he was what 23 at this point I can't not give it to him yeah Ali mm, my better that's it's <sighs> Freddie Pierre is a good one. I want to give it to Sam Warburton, but I think that's just me being incredibly biased because I love the man. Um, <laughs> we all do. I think I think you can't not pick Freddie Pierre. He was just so the archetypal mastermind scrum half. It just mm, yeah. it was typical him. It's really hard. I mean, that puts James hit on Roberts. <laughs> Makes me want to. <laughs> Did I say right one? I said right one. But I want to also want to pick Jamie Roberts because I think he was absolutely wonderful and he was just an absolute bashing ram. But you've got to really, I think, the mixture of the brawn and the brains, South Africa. They had the muscle, but yeah, Freud of yeah. was the brains that made the edge of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. I think the smartest scrum off I've ever seen, to be honest. Yeah. And I had a similar thing. I remember before we started doing this, I remember thinking about this game and thinking I was just going to like, instead of saying, oh, who's going to be man of the match? I was just going to assume we were going to say Sam Warburton. And actually, having watched the game I the same thought. back today, yeah. I was really gutted to say my man of the match is Foy Priya. I thought Foy Priya was the best player on the pitch. And Sam Warburton was a close second. And I thought Sam was fantastic. And Falatau as well. And also, Alan Wynne-Jones was incredible. He's great. He was absolutely yeah. everywhere. And Charter had a very good game as well. Yeah, I remember at the time that being more notable because you didn't expect Charteris to have the level of game he did. Whereas Alan Wynne Jones, yeah. uh, dynamic, wasn't he? They made him yeah. really dynamic. such a tall guy in that game; he was quite dynamic. Yeah, it's worth saying that we are probably bigging up a lot of the Welsh players quite a lot here. Yeah, South Africa won the game. But that's the thing; I think that the South Africa as a collective played to a slightly higher standard than Wales did, hence yeah. them winning the game. Whereas Wales had a lot of players who were playing sort of eight or nine out of ten games. You know, I'd say Hugh Bennett probably. Yeah, well, I think at least where we're looking is we're, we're talking about the the big positions. I think at nine, Zafka had it. At ten, relatively easily matched. But I think, well, I think Mornay saying wins that by yeah, distance because yeah. he was some of his attacking moves. I think the hands for the um, Fran State and try yes. was surprisingly quick for him. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. I think it's the crucial areas like like Wales didn't play badly. South Africa mm. had the edge. They had they matched the brawn and they had a bit more brain on the day. 
Yeah, yeah. Marlon Staines a criminally underrated attacking player, I think. Yeah. Because his oh, kicking overshadows it and his handling and his sidestepping and stuff is generally very well rounded. Yeah. And like when I look through the South African team now, the only players I'm looking at going, Oh, they had a, a legitimately good game rather than a fine performance are the two stains, you know, the Wales should have used some Daz to get rid of them. And then oh, Strokeberger, maybe Heinrich Rousseau actually as well. Yeah. But I'm oh and then obviously the heart obviously uh, Freud Priya. Whereas everyone in the Welsh team, you're looking at and going, actually, they had a pretty standout game. Like Adam Jones won a few penalties against that Springbok pack, and Paul James as well. They're both kind of there to do the stuff in the tight. Mike Phillips is an idiot, but otherwise, like North had a really good game actually, which I didn't remember yeah, him being that good. involved. Yeah. yeah, but just he would turn up and take off lows, and he'd turn up and be in support Got quite a lot. Turnover I think he said, yeah, at the start about his agility as well. And in both the centres, the entire Welsh team, that back row, we haven't mentioned Dan Lidget's name once, I think. Mm. And yet, he was fantastic. Falatau was brilliant. Both second rows excellent. Whereas the South African team were just doing their job. And actually, because they were a smarter yeah. team, they were better at doing it. And it, that came through and they won it without, with fewer standout performances. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was a tactic, but there was a lot of honeypotting around the ruck sometimes. Mm. And, I, I, and I, I, I'm one of those people I don't like saying, look, they got distracted, they let us get distracted by Honeypotting because often it's a decision. Yeah. It's something they're executing for a very good reason. But there was a lot of that going on and I wonder whether it just wasn't the right tactic. There was It wasn't every single one, but there seems like there was tactical swarming. Yeah. It, and it just didn't... It felt like a game to shut down South Africa. Yeah. Instead of a game to to really do stuff. And they did stuff going forward, but it wasn't particularly creative. It was effective. Jonathan Davies, Jamie Roberts stuff. It didn't yeah. feel like there was enough smart, furry de Priya level things. No. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just knowing your resources and knowing your scrum half will be Mike Phillips because your other options are either Lloyd Williams, who has one cap, or Tavis Noyle, who is Tavis Noyle. And again, like, people have kind of forgotten Tavis Noyle or the anecdotes about him shaving off his, eyebrow, off his eyebrows in the way into training by mistake because <laughs> he was sleeping in his car. And stuff like that, you know, but he was... He, how do he you was, accidentally shave off eyebrows? I don't know. But I remember him telling the story of how he was sleeping in his car and he woke up and he'd like, he'd shave part of his eyebrows. So he went, I'm going to commit and shave them all off. So he did that. And then he went, well, I haven't got anything else. And he tried to draw them on in mascara, but obviously he was going into rugby training. So he sweated a lot. And he just ended up with this just like black face covered in, in mascara that had trickled down his entire entire face that was the kind of guy Tavis Noy was and he was the scrum off that wasn't Mike Phillips and I've only told you what I thought of Mike Phillips' intellect <laughs> those are where was his options at nine the point of context that really ruins that is I can remember an interview with Tavis Noy where he said his least favourite part of playing nine is bossing the forwards around because they're not very bright yes I do remember that Ah, <laughs> oh, like okay I don't know if Foy Dupree had a doctorate but he kind of looks like it doesn't it yeah <laughs> I remember that film. You know that film, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Like, how to yes. lose your pack in 10 seconds. <laughs> Say yeah. that. I, I, I could talk about the film, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Sorry, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. But I won't. I'll move on to Dick of the Day. Do Does anyone have any contenders that aren't James Hook? Because mine is James Hook. And it's James Hook because of repeated incidents, including the one I mentioned where he just kind of kicks the ball into touch, yeah. trying to volley it, which wouldn't have worked anyway. Him missing the stuff. Him, him knocking the first high ball on him there's a point i forgot to mention out. yeah from my notes that Rivoli was reminded me of there was a moment where Fran Stain sent a monster rubber downfield we're talking mm. 60 60 meters 
Shane Williams saunters up. Yes. He yes. judo chops it with his foot midair, catches it and saunters onwards, sprinting forwards. Yeah. And he was just like, Could, I need, we need, this needs more attention. Yeah, there's this, no replay of it. There's no right. slow motion. And like, Lionel Boxes did that once and Sky showed it on <laughs> like, the Heineken yeah. Cup coverage for three years. Simon Zero did it and he won the Lions tour. Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Show the man some respect. Like, honestly, it blew my mind. I watched it and I kind of stopped. It's like, well, I'm going back. Thank you, <laughs> YouTube. Ten seconds skip. But oh, it was just—it was wonderful, and it kind of yeah. again—it reminded me that I—I I, I want him back. Yeah. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> I miss him desperately. Uh, did I mention I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago? Let's move yeah, on. He did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Shane Williams a couple of weeks ago, but it's fine. We don't need to talk about it. I interviewed Brian Habana this week. That was cool. He's a really, really nice man. Anyway, uh, Dick I missed the Shane Williams one. We are talking after the show. That one minute went past me. Yeah, mm. I kind of rambled at him for a long time. I just kind of, I got slightly nervous because at one point I started speaking and I realised I didn't know my next question. And I just talked about how much I loved him accidentally for about five minutes. And he kind of had a moment in which it kind of clicked in his face. I was like, oh, it's one of those interviews. He's one of those people. And he just kind of went with like, a, yeah, you know, it's good. Um, if I've inspired anyone, that's that's appreciated. And he was really lovely about it. He was really nice about it. But there was like, there was clearly a, Oh, he's a he's a proper card carrying fanboy. Look, of like it wasn't ne- it wasn't negative. He was really nice mm. about it, but at the same time, it's the one of these interviews I've done for World Rugby where I've kind of lost my cool slightly and been a bit fanboyish. I think you did very well actually, given the circumstances, oh, because you. you I would have totally given in straight away and just started fanboying. So yeah, I love you. <laughs> I kept it up for about two minutes, which is whew, yeah. professional. Yeah, still still immensely jealous. But dick of the day, should we carry on? Yes. Hook again, for, more so for the weird kick out on the fall out of hand than the volley, because I think the volley was actually under a bit of pressure, so I can kind of forgive mm. him a little bit. But I'm going to give, and usually I give dick of the day for something that's quite tongue-in-cheek or something quite funny, but I'm going to give it to Mike Phillips, because he got turned over twice in the last 10 minutes just yeah. from being slow. And just not getting the ball out, and like he was the one person, he was the person who was turned over in the last play of the match before it appeared to kick yeah. the ball out, uh, just because he was just faffing around, and I'm not sure what he was waiting no, it, for. No, if he was faffing around, he would have got the ball out quickly. If he was after mm. clerking around, oh, I'm going to shoot you. Anyway, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> anyway, socially distant, of course. Anyway, uh, make sure you make sure <laughs> if you're committing a murder. Apart. If you're committing a murder tonight, make sure you do it from a social distance. That is the main priority when not stabbing someone, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, anyway, I'm yeah, giving it to Mike Phillips for okay. generally being a bit annoying throughout most of the game. <laughs> Albeit sometimes he does something positive and that's fine, and this was one of his more positive campaigns where I hated him less. Mm. But as I say, like the way that he got turned over twice in the last ten minutes when Wales just needed to just do something slightly outlandish. It was just, it just felt unforgivable. As much as Priest and Missing Between the Post is also something that's also unforgivable. But yeah, Mike Phillips. And Ali? Mine's going for my, my deep hatred of anyone that decides to harm Sam Warburton. And <laughs> Muller gets my dick of the day for the shoulder charge on the top of your head, like you've just walked into a low bearing ceiling hold from Warburton. That's my <laughs> dick of the day. Muller. That's a, that's a very good call. Okay. Yeah. That finally, I realise this has been quite a long one. 
that finally brings us through today's Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective, which I got right for a second time in the space of only four hours or however long we've been talking about how great Sam Warburton slash Voya Priya are. Thank you very much for joining us, Ali. Is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to mention, anything you want to get in before we finish? Thanks for having me on. It's been quite fun. I've enjoyed it. You put up with me. Well done, you. <laughs> no, I mean... No, I mean, I mean, maybe if I plug anything, I'll be an advocate for the women's game. I think mm. being having someone who was entirely plugged in, lived and breathed, worked, earned, you know, put, put, put food in my mouth and paid my bills with with men's rugby, having really stepped into the women's game now with Harlequins. That's my my usual job is is being full time with the women's game, and I've taken on some more responsibilities while this situation is on. Mm. It, the women's game really is full of some incredible people. Coaches, players, their stories are wonderful. I'm not just going to lobby Quinns. I'm going to lobby all the Tyrrells teams in particular. The, the Six Nations. Just if, if you've not really been plugged into the women's game, check out some Tyrrell stuff. Honestly, it's yeah. it's um it's more expansive than I think people would imagine. It's they've got they've got some real skills. What I do is I'll if anyone's out there that hasn't really given the women's game a go, check it out. We're soon, soon we're going to be streaming the Leinster Harlequins women's game on the oh, Harlequins cool. women's channel so give yeah. that a watch if you've not watched a game before but yeah just give it a go women's game is, mm-hmm. is something that I never appreciated as much as I should have done and now I'm into yeah. it it's just full of incredible people doing fantastic I'm, things I'm definitely going to tune into that now you mentioned that I've only really watched the women's Six Nations before and so I think watching Tyrrells is good advice so I'm going to take that on board so thank you I'll also like also extend my thanks for you coming on and yes. doing this and putting up with this so thank you again <laughs> my pleasure thanks for having me on it's been fun well brilliant thank you very much Ali thank you very much whoever the other person is no (laughs) thanks to myself and thank you very much for listening thanks the guy who said he'll shoot me yeah Yeah. thank you for keeping two metres apart so I don't get the coronavirus as I die Um, thank you very much for listening we'll call it there thank you very much good night bye bye 